Welcome to The Workplace, the podcast where we try to make the places we work, places we love to work. I'm Andrew Scarcella. Every episode, we'll be talking with a different expert about what makes great workplace cultures tick. A Navy fighter pilot, an HR analyst, a fashion icon, who knows? Will they have all the answers? Nope. But with each one, we'll get a little closer to figuring out what we can do to build workplace cultures where people are happy, healthy, and inspired to do the best work of their lives. Rajiv Kumar is the chief medical officer at Virgin Pulse, an industry-leading employee well-being app. After founding ShapeUp, another well-being app, back in 2006, Rajiv grew his two-person startup into a global company with over 100 employees, 800 customers, and 2 million members all over the world, which is why Virgin Pulse acquired it in 2016. Now president of the Virgin Pulse Institute, Rajiv leads a team doing cutting-edge research on how health and well-being influence employee engagement, performance, and of course, workplace culture. Join us after the interview for The Takeaway, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us to our own workplace cultures to make them better. Rajiv was interviewed by Stephen Day, Director of Wellbeing Solutions at O.C. Tanner, and an expert in employee well-being in his own right. He could have easily been a guest on today's episode, but we're happy to have him on as an interviewer. Stephen, welcome to The Workplace. Thanks. Happy to be here. Oh, man, that voice is going to put me out of a job. (sighs) Anyways, Rajiv Kumar, there aren't a ton of people who know more about employee well-being than you, but I think Rajiv might be one of them. Yeah, Rajiv is is definitely a leader in the corporate well-being space, very well respected among among peers and I've been doing this for for 12 years or so now and and um, he's he's always been a name that uh, that brings a crowd for sure you'll hear more about his story and kind of how he got to where he is mm-hmm. um, in in the episode but today he's at Virgin Pulse and he leads their um, their research and data insights team and um, just really spending his time his time digging into the latest uh, peer-reviewed research looking at up-and-coming trends, um, developing um, reports and insights that are, are valuable and really validating a lot of the work that Virgin Pulse is doing, um, making sure that everything they do is evidence-based and effective. Just a really important piece of the whole the Virgin Pulse offering and value add, um, I should say, and value proposition. Yeah, um, a lot of HR leaders know that well-being is important, but there aren't a lot of them really digging into the data and the science behind it. No, you're right. I think uh, in the past, when we looked at corporate well-being or when we look at corporate well-being, the traditional model was to really focus more on some of the clinical aspects or, or even just the physical aspects like the, the fitness and nutrition type things. But I think in the past several years, it's really come to light that, that we need to look at the whole person. We need to look at a holistic per, uh, picture of well-being. And, and we ought to be looking at what works and what doesn't work instead of just kind of throwing something at the wall hoping it sticks. So I think that's something that Virgin Pulse is doing a really good job in. And I feel like this um, Rajiv's team in particular is an essential part of that. Yeah, well-being is a lot more than just step challenges. Indeed. Well, I am super excited for this one. I can't wait to hear what you guys talked about. Let's get to it. Rajiv, first, I, I wanted to ask, I, I mean, there's an MD after your name. Right. And I know you're the medical director at Virgin Pulse. I also know that, the, I mean, you're the founder of, of ShapeUp, uh, uh, another really popular work, worksite wellness app. I'm curious, 
how did you get into the field from medical doctor to worksite wellness? Tell us about kind of that journey. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Um, glad to uh, sit down and, and talk about well-being with you, Stephen. Uh, you know, I actually came into this space very accidentally. Um, I was on a path for my whole life to be a doctor. Ever since I was little, I wanted to be a physician. And uh, I was actually studying medicine. And um, I started to become very interested in the concept of prevention. And what I realized is in our healthcare system, and certainly in our medical education system, we don't really focus on how do you keep people healthy. Uh, we we focus almost all of our efforts on how do you treat people after they get sick. And when I started to see patients in medical school, I got very uh, concerned that uh, we had patients who were struggling with how do I lead a healthy lifestyle, with high blood pressure, with high cholesterol, with diabetes, and we were giving them medication. And uh, you know, we were kind of managing the progression of their disease instead of saying, here's what you can do to actually transform your situation. Here's how you can change your health and, and even reverse it. You know, I remember back into medical school, it wasn't until probably my fourth year of medical school where any of my professors said anything about the fact that type 2 diabetes is reversible, right? We just said, oh, you have diabetes, we're going to treat it, and eventually you're going to have all of these issues down the line. Instead, you know, we could focus on prevention and reversal. So I got very interested in that concept, and I decided to focus my efforts specifically on obesity. And uh, so I started a nonprofit organization trying to help people in the local community in Rhode Island where I was studying uh, specifically my patients, uh, help them exercise, eat healthy, and lose weight. And I stumbled upon the idea of social support and group-based behavior change. Uh, it's sort of a concept we use in medicine quite a bit. Uh, if you think about programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, there are diabetic support groups, there are pregnancy support groups. So this idea of coming together with people that are in the same boat as you, that share common characteristics, that maybe are going through a similar challenge or struggle, mm -hmm. uh, turns out to be very powerful. Uh, and it can have a, a dramatic impact on your health to work together with other people to try to accomplish a goal together. And so I created a little nonprofit organization called Shape Up Rhode Island that was designed to help people get fit, uh, but do it together on teams. And we gamified it, we made it fun, it was a competition, but the underlying uh, concept was all about social support. And that kind of uh, was the first domino that led to me entering this space because once I launched that program, I started to get phone calls from large self-insured employers. And uh, so employers in Rhode Island heard about this program and they said, hey, you know, the next time you run this 16-week program, we want to pay for our employees to be a part of it. And to me, as a medical student, that was sort of a shock. You know, I didn't expect that. And uh, so my first question to them was, why? You know, why, you know, why do you want to pay for your employees to be in this weight loss program? And they said, well, you know, we're self-insured. And I said, well, you know, what does that mean, right? And in, in medical school, we didn't learn how healthcare is financed. And so um, I quickly learned that these large self-insured employers were paying out of pocket for their employees' medications, for their procedures, for their visits to the doctor, and they were struggling with rising healthcare costs, and they wanted to do something to help their employees. And so I shifted the program to be uh, not a nonprofit um, organization, but to actually be a for-profit company so that we could raise money and go after this opportunity to help employers all around the country. And uh, that led actually to me uh, dropping out of medical school for three years uh, with one of my classmates. We, we raised capital. We built the company. Uh, we started to scale it. Uh, we eventually went back and finished our, our medical degrees, and then we came back to the company full-time. So it was a very accidental pathway. You know, I was on uh, a path to become a pediatrician, and that was my goal. And uh, suddenly I found myself uh, using technology to try to affect population health and working through employers. I think that's becoming more and more evident, especially the last few years that we've seen um, 
happen in, in several of the of the disciplines that, that serve employees specifically. One of the things that I feel like wellness has had for the, I don't know, for the last decade, maybe 15 years, as it's, as it's grown in popularity, it, it kind of has had a bad rap with a lot of employees, I feel yeah. like. And, and whether it be because it feels a little coercive or because it feels like it's like this dictated program that employers are placing on people, it, how, how have you managed that conversation as, as you've got, I know you've had some meetings with, I mean, and, and worked with some really large corporations. How have you kind of reframed that conversation for them? Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> Employee well-being really started um, from a top-down um, perspective, and it was something that employers instituted to control their healthcare costs. And so they said, listen, we're paying for your health insurance. That's house money, and therefore you're going to follow the house rules. House money, house rules. And so they said, all right, everybody's going to do a biometric screening. You're going to um, take your health risk assessment. And then if we find that you're high risk, we're going to kind of funnel you into a program to manage a chronic condition. And that's not a very welcoming uh, you know, message if you're an employee. That feels very, um, like you said, very rigid, uh, you know, very top-down. Uh, instead, we've kind of flipped this whole model and we've said the only way to truly engage people and to get their buy-in is to take a bottom-up approach. Uh, this has to be something that employees want that feels like it's meant for them. And in fact, it's something that they have some level of control um, and say over. And so we have really designed an approach that empowers the individual employee to pick and choose the things that they want to get involved in, um, to tell us what they're interested in, um, to pick the behaviors that they want to change, and then to have a sort of variety of options for how they want to go about and do that. Mm -hmm. And I think technology is allowing us to make that journey very personalized. So it doesn't feel like a one-size-fits-all solution dictated by your manager. It really feels like you're charting your own path. You're choosing your own adventure. And the system's learning about you. The, the model is learning about you and is tailoring the messaging, the content, um, how you're communicated with based on, you know, how, how you work and how you like to be, you know, communicated with. And I think that's been the fundamental paradigm shift, going from top down to bottom up. And so we actually see, you know, a situation now where 80 to 90% of employees, if best practices are followed, will actually join a well-being program. And the majority of them will continue to use it over the long term. And so I think well-being programs are becoming popular and they're becoming widely accepted. And frankly, when we go in and we survey employees, they tell us that this is what they expect from their employer. They don't want to go work for a company that doesn't right. uh, prioritize their personal well-being. This is a, a priority for them, and especially in the younger generations. You know, we hear that from millennials that you know uh, it's table stakes for an employer to offer a well-being program. It has to be the right type of program. It has to be something that uh, they feel is going to be you know right for them. But uh, that's the shift that we're seeing. And, and I it think feels like exciting. a benefit for them, right? And exactly. Instead of a, instead of kind of. A a list of requirements. Yeah, and I think it even goes, it transcends being a benefit to really being a way of life, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, where well-being becomes the default inside of the organization. So when I go to the cafeteria, it's not that there are healthy options, it's that everything's healthy, right? right? Um, you know, the default is we take the stairs instead of the elevator, and that's where all the energy is. Um, you know, there, there's music in the stairwell, and there's artwork, and it's beautiful, and I want to I want to take the stairs. Uh, you know, there are walking trails built into the campus, right? So I think they expect well-being to be the default, mm -hmm. and I think there's sort of an allergy to walking into a workplace now where, where it doesn't feel like well-being is the default, where you don't have a sit-stand workstation, where ergonomics is not being taken into account, where there's not natural light. You know, all these things that, that really promote your personal well-being, I think, are now table stakes. Yeah. I think I saw a statistic the other day where it's like 35% something, and, and I'm guessing on these numbers, but but somewhere right around there that feel like their workplace um, 
inhibits their well-being, which which is kind of sad, right? And, it is. Well, we talk about stress in the in the workplace and and how uh, employees are more stressed than ever. The number one driver of their stress is actually their work, right? And so employers are trying to figure out, you know, how do we help our employees control or reduce their stress? And and they actually need to look within to understand how they're, you know, in part causing that yeah. stress. I love that before you were talking about, and I appreciated you talked about this bottom up approach. That's one of the, my favorite things about Virgin Pulse. I love that I can talk about the the personal challenges and and. All these things can be happening in the company that, that don't have to be administered by, by a leader. Um, and it's kind of like organic movement, like a grassroots wellness in, in the organization. Um, and I assume that was something that ShapeUp brought to the table. Is that accurate? Well, I think what ShapeUp brought to the table is really the, the social component. That's where we had excelled. So helping people to connect with their colleagues, to form those relationships, and then uh, working together in a collaborative way to achieve their goals. So when you think about team-based challenges, competitions, uh, social support on the platform, those were some of the elements brought by by the ShapeUp um, platform and technology. But Virgin Pulse was always very much focused on the individual and personalization and choice. And I think that's really been a key to the success of the program. Mm-hmm. If there was an ideal company out there that had created this culture um, that that inspired people to, to always have a healthy lifestyle, what does that culture look like? I mean, you mentioned a few things with yeah, well, environmental you know, pieces and some of the climate things that they could control, but sure. expand on that. Yeah, so, uh, so I shouldn't have to think um, or work hard to find the healthy option, to be more physically active, to to eat healthier, you know, in the vending machine or in the cafeteria, those things all need to be, you know, default. And I think that's that's table stakes. Um, and I think you know a a true well being culture um, has to have leaders that are walking the talk, mm-hmm. right? So it's one thing to say we want everybody to participate in the well being program, we want everybody to have work life balance. But senior leaders are going to do something different. Right. I was going to ask, where's the leader's role in all of this? Yeah, absolutely. They have to be visibly engaged and they have to visibly be, visibly be walking the talk. And, and we actually find when companies get their senior leader, generally the CEO, actually participating in the well-being program and talking about their own personal well-being journey, that those are the companies that get the highest level of participation. So if the CEO is absent and, and nobody sees them participating, it feels like, this is something that's just meant for the you know rank and file. Uh, but when the CEO is saying, "Hey, listen, I also struggle with getting enough sleep, uh, with managing you know work and life, um, with being you know physically active, with eating healthy when I'm traveling and on the go," and these are things that let's let's work on these together. I need your support, and I'll support you as well. I think those are the companies that really excel uh, when we talk about employee well-being. And I imagine if people don't see their leaders engaging in, with the, with the program the same way they're expected to, or, or they're not exemplifying this, these healthy behaviors, then I start to people will start to question the motivation behind the program in general. I imagine. Yeah, you become skeptical, and it lacks authenticity. Yeah. And so I think that's an important part of it as well. I think the other component is really flexibility. I think you know the, the culture that allows employees flexibility in almost every aspect of what they do. Flexibility in how they work, flexibility in where they work, flexibility in how they want to receive feedback, uh, flexibility in the programs and benefits that they engage with. You know, those are the companies that seem to have the, the strongest level of well-being um, inside of the organization. So it's a lot of it's policy, a lot of it's um, you know how you treat your employees, a lot of it's the culture. Um, it's not always just programs that you have to you know install. It really is a, a way of thinking. It's a mindset. One of the things that that um, I think is also kind of becoming more and more apparent in our field is that the well-being is more than just physical health. It's more than the diet and exercise. Um, 
education and, and, and initiatives that focus around those. Uh, I mean, what are some of the other elements that, that, that employers can really um, influence? You're right. Well-being, and that really underlies the shift from wellness to well-being, right? So over the past few years, our industry has really shifted from using the term wellness. Wellness mm-hmm. um, really connotes, I think, a physical health focus, biometric screening, um, you know, physical activity programs, health risk assessments. Well-being is something much broader. It's much more holistic. At Virgin Pulse, we've developed nine areas of well-being. We call them our Thrive Well-Being areas. And they're, uh, they include components like sleep, stress, um, relationships with your family and your friends, um, engagement in your community. Uh, so there, there are lots of other components in addition to nutrition and, and you know, physical activity and so forth. Mm-hmm. Financial well-being is an important part of that as well. And so we're trying to take a very broad view on how we can invest in someone's personal well-being and help them thrive over the long term. Um, and what we find is that um, employers are shifting how they think about well-being programs and the outcomes that they're looking to get from them. Historically, well-being programs were all about controlling healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. And that's why we focused on the physical Right, because healthcare costs are being driven by diabetes and heart disease and musculoskeletal Identify issues. the risks, manage right? the risk. Exactly. And now employers are starting to say, you know what? There's a role for, for focusing on healthcare costs, but the real value in well-being is multiple times what we can save in healthcare costs. If we can keep our employees happy and productive, if they can bring their best self to work every day, if we keep them for a longer period of time so they don't churn, mm-hmm. if we attract better talent, we're going to drive a level of productivity that our organization has never seen before. And frankly, making your employees more productive can pay you 10 times more than saving a couple hundred dollars on healthcare mm-hmm. costs every year. And so we've shifted in our um, work, and, and part of my role at Virgin Pulse is to run the Virgin Pulse Institute, which is really our internal data science team. And so we've got data scientists, data engineers that are harnessing billions of data points and trying to turn those data points into insights for our customers. And so part of what we've done is we've created a model that's called value on investment or VOI. Mm -hmm. And it's really an evolution away from ROI or return on investment. So in our space, ROI was very focused on healthcare cost reduction. Value on investment says there are so many other areas of value that we can measure. We can't quantify them all in dollars, but we we can quantify them. And they include outcomes like employee retention, Uh, reduction in absenteeism, Uh, improvement in net promoter score uh, among our employees, Um, productivity. And we even start to measure financial metrics like output, uh, profitability, stock price performance, market capitalization. And it turns out that all of these things are correlated to investing in the health and well-being of your employees. And so it's a very comprehensive and holistic way to think about the fact that well-being is not just a cost containment yeah. strategy, it really is a critical business strategy that can drive the financial performance of your company. That's incredible that all that's connected and, and um, kind of reliant on each other. That's right. They're all interconnected. And, and at the, you know, we have this pyramid model um, to kind of frame that concept. And at the base of the pyramid is behavior change, mm-hmm. right? Nothing happens. We can't get any of those outcomes we care about health improvement, cost reduction, productivity improvement, if we don't change people's behavior. And that's why at the core of the Virgin Paul solution, we have invested in habit formation. Mm-hmm. How do we help people take small steps that will grow over time and change their behavior permanently? Because that's the only way that will ultimately change the situation inside of companies. I think employers really have to really focus on how they can bring all of this together so it doesn't feel like I have a well-being program over here, and I have a rewards and recognition program over here, and I don't see how they tie together. We believe there are ways to actually recognize uh, employees for 
doing healthy things and, and you know, focusing on their personal well-being. Uh, we think there's a role for peer recognition where employees can recognize each other. We find that to be incredibly powerful. It's one thing to be recognized by your manager. It's another to be recognized by a friend um, or somebody that's your peer. Um, so I think there are some connection points and, and we're trying to bridge um, sort of the gaps between these programs to make them feel like they're part of a continuum and not sort of individual siloed yeah. opportunities. Well, Rajiv, thanks again for, for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an honor to be here. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we break down big ideas into bite-sized pieces you can take with you and implement in your workplace culture. The first is that well-being works best from the bottom up. It should feel personal, not prescriptive. Give people the initiative to set their own goals, pursue their own interests, and track their own progress, and you'll be rewarded with higher participation, engagement, and results. Not everyone is chasing a step goal. Some are training for a triathlon, or trying to eat healthier, or tackling stress through daily meditation, or putting together a saving plan for their kid's college fund. Financial well-being is well-being too. But just because you're giving employees the power doesn't give leaders a pass. They have to walk the walk, as Rajiv says, to set an example, be role models. You know, leader stuff. The second is that when it comes to well-being, ROI isn't nearly as important as VOI. Value on investment is a natural evolution of the well-worn return on investment, shifting the focus from healthcare costs to other metrics like employee retention, reduction in absenteeism, net promoter scores, even big financial indicators like stock price performance and market capitalization. Thanks to Rajiv and his team of data scientists, we know that they're all positively correlated with an investment in employee health and well-being. The third is, why all this talk about well-being and no mention of whale-being? While many species have recovered from near extinction thanks to the global ban on whaling in the 1980s, whales all over the world continue to face threats. Warming oceans due to climate change, pollution from energy extraction and microplastics, increased shipping traffic, overfishing, and tragically, illegal hunting. This tangible takeaway may have started out as a joke, but after doing a little research, I'm invested, for real. And you should be too. Use less plastics, buy sustainable seafood, carpool to work, donate to an environmental organization. Every action, no matter how small, will help give whales a fighting chance. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Workplace on Stitcher. It really helps us grow and get to know you better. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite where all employee experience apps are in sync, giving teams the integrated tools they need when, where, and how they need them. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, Go to octanner.com.